Welcome to the February 13th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5-10, through 10, and the sermon is entitled, True Followers, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. So I want you to take your Bible, turn with me in your New Testament to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We are in the beginning phase of a theological journey, step by step, verse by verse, through two books of the Bible, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, written by the great missionary, the great believer, Paul. Uh, In the first sermon that was last week, we're beginning a sermon series. This is sermon number two, so uh, last week was the very first sermon. It taught about the place and the situation of this little church that has been established in the big city of Thessalonica. Let me briefly catch everybody up so that we all start on the same page uh, as we begin this study. If you know church history, you will remember that Paul made three missionary journeys, three major journeys in his career. He had a team who traveled with him that they would go into the world, travel in the highways and byways of the world, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, going into pioneer areas where perhaps the name of Jesus had never been heard before. And this mission team preaches the gospel of the living Lord. Jesus tells us that is still our task. Until the last day comes, we're to preach the gospel. That's our commitment that we're going to talk about, hear about, and celebrate the good news of a Savior who loves us, who wants to be a part of each of our lives as our Savior. But on the second missionary journey that Paul and his team are traveling, they're in their home territory. They are in the region of Galatia. They're in their stomping grounds where they had lived and where they were familiar in the, on the continent of Asia. However, God stopped the mission team and said, I don't want you anymore preaching in these places. So the mission team is on a hold, not knowing where to go next. And this, this particular passage that we're studying comes from the history book of Acts chapter 16. But Paul and the mission team are stalemated for a moment, not knowing the next stop, where to go. But one night, Paul gives, Paul, uh, God gives Paul a vision of a man who is standing on the shoreline of a new continent. The man of Macedonia, God shows Paul a need in another place in the world. The man of Macedonia standing on the shoreline, motioning, saying, come help us here, come preach the gospel here. Well, it was a brand new continent, the continent of Europe. And so Paul and his mission team were directed by God to move off of the continent of Asia, sail 100 miles across the Aegean Sea, and to disembark on the continent of Europe. Paul immediately takes his team and they change gears. They sail that hundred miles. They go to the continent of Europe. The first stop there is the city of Philippi. If you remember, they met Lydia and a group of ladies who are praying, asking for God's direction. And Paul and his team lead a group of people in Philippi to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they found a church in the great city of Philippi, but the mission team comes under great persecution and great punishment, almost dying for the faith in Philippi because of unbelieving men who wanted them out of the city. So they established a church in Philippi, but were run out of the city by those who hated the message of the gospel, Well, rather than saying, well, simply, you know, we're being punished in Europe, let's go back home. Let's go back where we won't face as much punishment. 
But the team presses on. They are undeterred. They are going to move forward with the gospel on the continent of Europe. So they travel to the next big city. They'd been run out of Philippi. So they go to the next large city on the circuit, and that is the city of Thessalonica. They are undaunted. They're undeterred. They're not going to be punished off of the continent. So they go to Thessalonica, and they preach the gospel there again. They're punished by unbelieving men in Thessalonica. They are ravaged because of what they believed and the way that they spoke and the way that they stood for the Lord Jesus. But they founded a church in Thessalonica. People were saved under the gospel being preached there, and there was a nucleus of a brand-new church established in the city of Thessalonica, a city of about 200,000 people. And here is a small, brand-new church composed of brand-new Christians, baby Christians, planted in the city of Thessalonica. Paul would have loved to have kept his ministry team there and pastored them and ministered to them and get them standing on their feet in strength, but they, too, were run out of the city of Thessalonica. They were not able to stay. The little church had to be left alone in the big city, brand-new baby Christians, not having guidance from more mature believers, but they were left in that city because the mission team were run out of the city and they were punished until they left the, the uh, setting of the ministry. Sadly, persecution would not allow Paul and his team to stay there. And so Paul, sometime later, probably from the area of Athens, Corinth, same geographical place, writes these two letters of guidance to encourage and support and to teach and to mature and guide this baby church, a baby young church in a very hard, resistant city to the gospel of the living Lord. So Paul, the best he can do is to write these letters to encourage this little church in the city of Thessalonica. Paul uses these letters to teach them to keep the faith, and no matter the setting, to keep on witnessing, no matter the persecution, to never give up, never turn your back on the Lord Jesus Christ, Continue to walk forward in him in ministry. He will guard you. He will protect you. With that little bit of history, let's go to the verses for today. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Great words that speak to a little church in a hard city, but great words that speak to our church in this day and in this age. We need to hear them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, go to verse 5. Hear these words from these letters that God had inspired Paul to write to this little church. They now apply to us. First Thessalonians 1.5 For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything." For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, 
and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. May God add his blessing to the reading of these very few verses of Scripture. But from these words, we can see that Paul loves this little brand new church in a hard city of Thessalonica. Acts chapter 17 tells us that the first converts to this church were a great assortment of people. If you'd like to flip there, you may, but just listen. Acts 17, and I want you to hear verses 1 and 4. Listen to this history account of the first members of the church at Thessalonica. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews... Now, so we know there are Jews there. Now, going down to verse 4, And some of them, the Jews, believed, and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. Well, in those two verses, what we learn is Paul and his mission team started the synagogue preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Many Jews came to Jesus. But also it says in the next verse, verse 4, that many Gentiles and Greeks came to Jesus through the preaching of the ministry team. Also some very important women leaders of the city came to the Lord Jesus. So we have brand new Christians, many of whom had never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And yet these brand new Christians formed the nucleus of this church planted in Thessalonica. So at the very beginning, the church was composed of saved Jews and Gentiles, uh, leading women of the church. What I don't want you to miss is that the church was composed of a great mixture of people. It was not this homogenous group of the same kind of people. There were different shades of skin in this church. There were different cultural backgrounds within this church. There were different lifestyles represented in this church. It's amazing the great diversity that started out in the church at Thessalonica. All kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds coming to the Lord Jesus, being united as a church. But what I want you to hear is this. With this great multitude of differences with, between these people, this place was ripe for prejudice. This place was ripe for disagreement because all of these people live different ways, different lifestyles, different cultures. It's a mixture of people, but the Holy Spirit of God united this church together, saved by grace through faith. All of these people of different backgrounds and cultures became brothers and sisters. So the Holy Spirit of God climbed over above all of the differences of these people and united them together because they knew Jesus as Lord and Savior. Yes, they were different people, but they had the same Jesus living inside. That's what brought the church together. That's what, make them, what makes them a working uh, ministry in this very lost city. It's a mixture of people, but it's a picture of the church. It should be the picture of this church. We're different people, different shades of skin, different backgrounds, different ways of living lives, different family backgrounds, but the Holy Spirit of God lives in us. That's what makes us the church. That's what makes us a ministering body of the Lord Jesus Christ is because he lives in us and that brings us together. In all of our differences, that brings us together as brothers and sisters. 
It brings together different talents, different ways of service. That's what the church is about. So that all of us who join in our differences of life can present a full ministry to the world. So God uses us in our differences. He joins us together by His Spirit, and He sends us out now as one mission team doing different things for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful for the way that the Lord puts His church together. Different people sharing one Jesus, going out in ministry. That's what the church is about. That's what it was about in Thessalonica 2,000 years later. That's what it's about in Clifford, Virginia. So I'm grateful for the church body. It makes the church work. It makes the church thrive when Jesus lives in us and joins us together. In verse 5 of uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul says, The gospel that I preached to you in Thessalonica was just not dead, empty words, but rather... They're words of hope and words of power that the Lord Jesus wants to save you, that the Lord wants to live in you, that the Lord wants to give you that ministry that you can reach out to that lost city with the good news of Jesus Christ. Our preaching came as the saving power of the Holy Spirit upon you. Now, I want us to understand in this, in this day of Thessalonica, there were false preachers and philosophers who would move to different bodies of people, and they would preach some message with a good, feel-good uh, tone to it, not because they loved the people, not because they wanted to help the people, but because they wanted their offering, they wanted their money, they wanted to get rich, they wanted to get famous off of what they were doing, but they really didn't care about the people to whom they were speaking. Some hollow message of hope or promise that really wasn't true but Paul says, we preach to you the truth of the living Lord Jesus Christ. We preach the love of Jesus alone. That was our entire message. In the midst of all of your cultural differences and pressures in Thessalonica, we preached you one message and one message alone. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to save you. Jesus wants to give you hope and promise and eternal life because he and he alone, the Son of God, can give you salvation and grace and blessing and a home forever. We preached you one message, and that one message is Jesus. He will take care of you. Paul says we preach the truth. We preach the love of Christ. What happened when they preached the love in so many hearts? Look at verse 6, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. The members of this little church at Thessalonica were saved, eternally changed because they heard the message of the gospel and they heard the invitation to Jesus as Lord and Savior and to surrender to him and to give your heart to him. And they were changed because they gave their heart to him as Lord. Jesus changes lives. Amen? Friend, if you are here today and you say, I know Jesus, but my life has not changed, you need to go back to square one and start over because he hasn't touched you yet. When you know him, when you follow him, when you have a relationship with him, it will change your life. For the good, for the better, for his glory, it will change your life. If you have your Bible open to 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, I want you to circle the word followers. Some of you in some translations have the word imitators. The Greek word is mametes. 
And it means when these Thessalonian people, who probably had never heard the name of Jesus, when they heard Paul and his mission team preach the salvation of Jesus Christ, they came to the Lord as their Savior. And they followed, they imitated the faith of that ministry team as it came into their city. In other words, when this mission team of Paul and uh, the, the team came into the city and preached the good news of Christ, people who heard that good news said, I want what you have. And I want to follow your faith. I want to imitate your faith because I want what you have. So this little new church imitated the mission team even to the point of sacrifice. People who were brand new to the Lord Jesus Christ watched this team being persecuted, watched this team being run out of their city, and yet they said, we want the faith that we see in these men of God, this team that's coming through our city. We want that faith, and we will imitate that faith, even to the point of sacrifice. If they will, if they will die for Jesus, I will die for Jesus. That's how much they wanted to imitate the faith of the mission team coming through. If they will die, I will die. We will die as well for Christ. That's amazing. Brand new believers who are willing to surrender their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that should speak to us, church. The groundwork for being a child of God has not changed from the first century to the 21st century. We still surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. We still lay down our lives to Him. We don't give Him a piece of our life. We give Him everything we have. Materially, emotionally, physically, spiritually, we give Him everything we have. We lay it down to Him. We're surrendered to Him. That's the way these people in Thessalonica gave their heart to Jesus. We imitate that team. We will lay down our life. If they lay down theirs, we will lay down ours. And we today continue to lay down our lives to the Lord Jesus. Truly, that should be our commitment, that we would rather die than deny him. That we will not compromise him. That we surrender to him and we will stand for him in courage. No matter what may come, we stand for our Savior. We would die rather than deny you know, I looked up a few statistics. You can look them up, too. They're easy to find. Google the information. It'll come right up to you as well. Supposedly, roughly 65% of Americans identify as Christian in some way. Now, I'm not going to tell you 65% of America is composed of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but 65% of America identify with Jesus and Christianity in some form, some fashion. And yet another statistic says that only 37% of that 65% worship in any way. Now, we have to take streaming into account with this, but somewhere around 35% of America, 37% of America, attends church by streaming in person in some way weekly. Now, Barna says that Regular church attendance is somewhere between one-third and half of the time. If you attend church, streaming, in person, however, regular attendance in our culture is to attend once a month or twice a month. That's regular attendance. I have a problem with that, but that's the way it's defined. So we live in a nation where those who identify with Christ are about 65%, but only half of that group 
worships in some form or fashion maybe only once a month. Is that real commitment? I don't think so. That's not laying down your life to Christ. That's not surrendering to Him. I believe the first act of obedience in following Christ after baptism is worship. We worship Him. We follow Him. How can you follow a road map if you've never consulted? How can you follow a Savior if you've never worshiped Him, pray to Him, ask for His guidance? What percentage would you say of Christians in America who would be willing to die for Him? If some can only muster up once a month to worship Him, how many would really die for Him? But if you look at the context of the Word of God, that's surrender. Who will lay down your life for your God? And that theme runs from Old Testament through New Testament. Who will lay down their life for our God? How many of us would surrender our lives to death rather than deny our Savior, Jesus Christ? There's the question of God's Word. It's the question that's addressed right here in Thessalonians. How many of us would lay down our life for the Savior? You know, I can't address the nation today But I'm called to address this church. I'm called to address all who join us today. Would you die for your Savior? Would you die rather than compromise your Lord? The question is mine as well. The Bible says our commitment should be that deep. And that's exactly what the book of Thessalonians teaches us. These young, brand-new Christians who had only heard the name of Jesus Christ recently, willing to imitate what they saw in this mission team. We will die for him. If you die for him, we will too. Let's move on. 1 Thessalonians 1, look at verse 7. So that ye were in samples or examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. So Paul is talking to this little church at Thessalonica, and he says, your amazing commitment to Jesus is very well known. Your faith is speaking to other congregations in other parts of the world. You're an example to all the churches around you. People have heard about your little church and your surrender to the Lord Jesus in Thessalonica. Many of you have turned away from idol worship. Many of you have been disallowed by your own families and rejected by your own families. Some of you probably have lost your jobs. Many of you are already persecuted because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in a very resistant city. And yet you won't give up. You continue to move forward. And your faith is speaking to many outside of your own community. So Paul says, I know your way's been hard. But church, you have modeled the faith of the living Lord Jesus Christ to many, many you don't know about, many who are outside of your city. But you're a model of the Christian faith. In verse 8, he says, Church, you have sounded out the Word of God. You have rang true in the Word of God. The Greek wording for sounding out that you see in verse 8 there is to be like a trumpet or a bell or thunder. And that you sound out the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're never to live under the radar that we're a Christian, but we don't want anyone to know. So I'll hide behind the pulpit so you can't see me. We don't live a hidden faith. But Paul says, church, I'm so proud of you because you're sounding out, you're ringing out 
the gospel of the living Lord Jesus Christ, and the nation is understanding what it means to know Jesus through you, little church in Thessalonica. I'm proud of you. I'm grateful for what you're doing in serving the Lord Jesus. That's an amazing truth here from the pastor's heart. I can tell you, church, I constantly, constantly pray for this church to sound out and ring out the gospel of Jesus Christ as a model of faith. I don't have any desire that this church be more popular than another church. I don't have any desire that we have more beautiful buildings than any other church. I don't care if we have fancier buildings. I don't care if we have smoke and entertainment up here. That's not our goal. Our goal is to ring out the truth and the grace and the salvation of Jesus Christ as His church. That we are surrendered to Him in ringing out that truth. I want us to be what Paul saw in Thessalonica. A church that modeled the faith for its community and for its world. They trumpeted out their commitment to Christ and so shall we. Now, the last two verses of the text today, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul says, I am amazed. Little church of Thessalonica, we founded you, we preached the gospel, you came to Christ We formed a church. We planted you in the city. We had to leave. We were persecuted out of the city. And we didn't really know what was going to happen to you because you were so young. You'd just come to Christ in a very, very hard place. And he said, I'm so proud of you. In your faith, you have continued to turn to God. You've turned away from idol worship. Many of those came from temples of idol worship coming to the Lord Jesus. And Paul said, you burned and you broke and you banned your idols from your homes. I'm proud of you. He said, many of you heard the gospel of the living Lord and you came completely to serve him. If your idol was another fake religion, you walked away from that temple. If your idol was sexual sin, which was very, very common in cities like that, very common in our country, If your idol was sexual sin, you walked away from it. If your idol was a life of luxury, you traded that life off for a life of persecution. I'm proud of you because you came to Jesus as Savior. If your idol was spending money on yourself, you began realizing you needed to give it away to other people. If your idol was living this self-centered life when Jesus came into your heart, you set aside your self-centered life and started looking for others who needed salvation. I'm thankful for that, little church in Thessalonica. You gave up everything to serve the living God now. You didn't grow into it. You didn't take 10 years to figure it out. You laid down that old life, that past life, and you immediately began surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. I'm proud of you, church, for what you're doing there. Now look at verse 10. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I love this verse. Paul says, church in Thessalonica, I know you're working hard. 
I know you're ministering in hard conditions. I know you're ministering and reaching out with Christ under the threat of persecution. I know your life is challenging, but you keep the faith. You keep up your courage, and you're keeping up your ministry. And then Paul says, listen, church, Jesus is coming for you. You wait for him every day expectantly because he's coming for you. The risen, powerful, mighty Lord is coming. And as you wait for him, you work for him. You minister for him. You keep up the task. Keep up the pace. We don't know when, but we know it's a fact that Jesus is coming for us. That is the truth. Praise God for that. So listen, church. As Paul tells the little church in Thessalonica, so too we learn this truth from God's Word that is inspired and inerrant today. And that is that we work and we witness and we wait expectantly because Jesus is coming for us. That is the promise. We don't know when, but we do know it's 100% set in the concrete of heaven that Jesus is coming for His church. And we keep our eye on the sky, but we keep our eye on the work as well. And we minister and we draw the lost to the Lord Jesus Christ and we reach out and we disciple our little ones and our children and we go forward in ministry, always knowing that at any minute Jesus could come for us. We wait, but we work. We're expectant, but we continue on in what he calls us to do until we see him break through the clouds. Wait for him patiently. Work for him passionately. That's what Paul says here to the little church in Thessalonica. It's true for us today. If there's a son or a daughter or a grandchild or a friend that you need to lead to Jesus, do not put that off. Don't wait for that. You begin in that field of ministry, ministering to your family, ministering to your circle, ministering to those people who need the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in, in 50 and 60 and 70 A.D., when these letters were written, Christians were looking to the skies for Jesus. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still looking to the sky, waiting for him to come. But I pray, I pray that we are a, a people who are so faithful and so committed and so serious about Jesus that we will lay down our life for that we are totally surrendered to him. That is true for you here, true if you're streaming with us today. His call to us is that we lay down our life to him, for him, through him, that we minister, that we wait for him patiently. I pray for that church, that we are laid down, surrendered before our Savior, and all that is ours belongs to him. Thessalonians teaches us what the real church is. And I love the message. I pray today, and I pray every day for this church. If this is your church as you stream with us, I pray for us that we are a church surrendered to him. There are no games here. We're going to lay down our lives, and we're going to work for him. And even if it comes to the point, we will surrender our life for him. We would die rather than deny our Savior. Today... I pray that is our commitment as brothers and sisters and believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that it's all about our life. That's what we do, that he's taken over our heart and our life. And today, if you're here and you do not know the Savior, 
if you do not know the one who died on the cross for you, for you personally, if you've never come to him as Lord and Savior, you do not know him, I can tell you today that he wants to forgive you of sin. I can also tell you today that no matter who you are or who I am, that all of our sin, if you think it's just little white sin and little things that God will easily forgive, all sin from the, from the mildest to the worst, all sin is awful to God. It's an affront and an affliction to his holiness. And he wants to forgive you and me. Today, if you've never been forgiven, I want you to know he wants to forgive you. He's moved heaven and earth to forgive you. Because God himself, the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to die on a cross for you and for me that we might be forgiven of our awful sin before him. He wants us. I know I say this verse every week, but Romans 3.23, all of us sin and all of us fall short of the glory of God. There's, there's no one exempt from that. Awful sin. And the Bible also says in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that all sin is inexcusable before God. Being separated from God. Is hopeless, can only lead to an awful end in hell. But Jesus went to the cross, and he died for every single person on every single continent and corner of the world that we might be forgiven. But I want you to hear this. Believers, I want you to hear this. Those of you who have never received Jesus, I want you to hear this. God does not want a piece of you. God does not want a part of you. He has the right and the authority to demand all of us in total, absolute surrender. He's not interested in selling you a ticket and letting you go on about life, a ticket out of hell, and when you die, you won't go there. Just live your life as you want to. I'll pat you on the back and bring you into heaven. That's not what we're preaching here. He wants people who say, Lord God, I am sorry for my sin. And I'm sorry for what I've done against you to break a relationship with you. I repent. And I ask you, Lord, to receive me through Jesus, his blood shed for me, dying for me, raising from the grave that I might have eternal life. I receive you as my Savior, and I totally surrender to you. And from this moment forward, I would rather die than deny you as my Savior. There's the commitment. He didn't want a piece of you. He wants all of you. Maybe there are believers who are listening right now who said, all I've ever given Jesus is a piece of me. I've lived a Sunday morning life, and then I've lived another life the rest of the week. I haven't ever given Jesus all of me, just a piece of me. Today's the day to make that right with him, saying, Lord Jesus, I am a believer, and I want to give you everything I have. I've not given you everything yet. I want to lay it down before you today and begin a new walk with you as my Savior. I give you everything I have. And today, if you've never come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, he wants a relationship with you. He didn't want you to join a religion. He wants you in relationship. He has the right to ask you to surrender all to him, and he wants you to follow him. As the Old Testament says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you will not have any other God before you. You will not worship any other thing. You will not follow any other thing, any other attraction. 
He is your Savior, and you will follow him. He is intent that you will not follow anything else but him. There's the commitment in him alone, all in, all his. He loves you with all he's got, and he asks you to love him with all you have. If you've never received him as Savior, today is the day to say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. You have everything I have. I give you my heart. I surrender to you. I will follow you. If you need him, you come. Brother, sister, if you and I need to get to this altar and say, Lord, everything I have is yours. I'm not giving you a piece of me anymore. I want to lay that down. I want to give you everything I have. Today's that day. Church home, whatever the need, our holy God meets us here. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these words. They are challenging. This is a tough little book in Thessalonians, but oh, it's beautiful. It's certainly tough in its message. It is straight along and true in its message, Lord. This little church in Thessalonica said, if this mission team will die for Jesus, so will we. Today, 2,000 years later, can that be our plea, Lord? If it comes to the point that I need to lay down my life for Jesus, I'll do that rather than deny you. Father, you deserve everything we have, not a part of us, but all of us. Help believers to make that commitment to you. If there's one who needs Jesus as Savior, I pray that that's on the ground floor of their commitment. I give you everything, Jesus. As I accept you as my Savior, everything I have belongs to you now. Whatever the need, Father, thank you that you meet it here in Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.